John chapter number 8 is where we're going to be at today. John chapter number 8. And we're going to continue our series that I've entitled Refocus. We're going to get a, a clearer view of who Jesus is, a clearer view of Christianity, as we see it unfold throughout the gospel accounts. And where we've been at, we've been in uh, really Jesus' final six months. We are in the period of time that is between the Feast of the Tabernacles, which would have happened right around where we're at now. Uh, in As far as the year goes, it would have been in the autumn part of the year. And then at the Feast of the Passover in the uh, spring of the year is where Jesus is going to end up being crucified. So we're in his final six months. And in the past couple of weeks, what we've looked at is leading up to the Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus' brothers who were critical of him, who didn't believe in him, uh, they came to him and started challenging him. They started questioning him about his timing, about his methods, about the way that he was going about things. And through those events, we saw that we're much the same as Jesus' brothers, that we are constantly critical of what God is doing, of his will and his workings in our lives and his plans for us. We want him to do things in our time, in our way, do it clearly in a way that we understand and leave no question whatsoever. That's the kind of challenges that we put on God. But as we saw through those events, we realized that God is God and we are not. And we can put all of these things into his hands. We can trust him with his timing. We can trust him with the path that he would have us to trod. And we need to just allow him to do what only he can do. Last week, what we saw was that Jesus had came to Jerusalem for the time of this feast. And as he came into Jerusalem, he was the talk of the town. Everyone was gathering around. Everyone was uh, trying to figure out what they thought of Jesus. They were trying to figure out what he was going to do. Is he the Messiah? Is he a teacher? Is he a prophet? Is he just some crazy guy that came out of Nazareth? What is this about Jesus? They were trying to decide that. But with everyone discussing Jesus, everyone talking about Jesus, the religious leaders didn't take it too kindly. They didn't like the attention that Jesus was getting. They didn't like the things that Jesus was saying. And so they were trying to find a way to trip him up or to trap him up. They wanted to silence him. They wanted to destroy him however they could so that he would quit ruining all of their plans. And as he wasn't giving them a whole lot to work with, they decided to set up a trap. They brought a woman caught in adultery, and they said, Moses in the law says such should be stoned. What do you say? And the trap was to get him to either side with Moses and lose favor with the people and with Rome, or side against Moses and then be seen as being a false prophet or a heretic and being, um, uh, being seen as uh, unreliable because he went against the law of Moses. And so either way, they thought that he was going to uh, was going to incriminate himself either with the people or with the government. That's what they had hoped for. But obviously, Jesus didn't fall into their trap. And anyway, as we saw this unfold, we saw that it was a, a good illustration of the human condition. What we saw in this account was that the law condemns all men, right? The law brings about condemnation, and it uh, it condemns. This is what the men came. They said the law requires that such should be stoned. And so uh, the law condemns. Then we try to justify ourselves by comparison. 
all these men who were trying to get her stoned, all of them who were condemning her with the law, were just as guilty as she was. They may not have committed adultery, but they had their own sins. They just saw themselves as better than her by comparison. And that's what we try to do. We try to justify ourselves by comparing ourselves with each other and say, well, yeah, I might lie once in a while, but at least I haven't killed anyone, right? But whenever we have the word of God that comes in, God's word convicts. It finds us all guilty. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us need a Savior, no matter who we are, and that brings conviction on our lives. The comparison goes out the window. But Jesus' compassion forgives us. Jesus loved the world so much that he came down blood and died for us to offer salvation to whosoever will, and he made salvation possible through his death on the cross. And so his compassion forgives. And the last thing that we saw is that his love compels. Because of all that he has done for us, we live for him. It's not that we're trying to earn anything. It's not that we're trying to prove anything. It is because of what he did that we can serve him, that we can live according to his word, that we can live to glorify him. His love compels, it constrains us to live for him. And so today where we're at, we are still in the Feast of the Tabernacles. So I said we're in the final six months of Jesus' life. We're actually in the, the furthest part of that six months, okay? Still in the Feast of the Tabernacles, and Jesus is going to have several encounters with the religious leaders. What he's going to be doing throughout this time is he's going to be saying things that is going to provoke the religious leaders. All throughout his ministry, he has said, my time is not yet come, Right? He has operated according to God's timetable, according to God's plan. But now he is being even more bold. He is saying things that are going to be controversial. He's saying things that are going to cause them to, uh, to resist him, for them to begin to actively try to find a way to kill him. Okay? So he's provoking them. He's propelling himself toward the cross. That's what he is doing. And so where we're going to begin at, uh, I want to do uh, something I don't normally do. I'm going to read one verse, okay? Or used to be reading like I have a chapter or a chapter. I want to read one verse. Uh, John chapter number 8, verse number 12 is where we're at today. And it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be in your house. So thankful for everyone who has gathered out here today. They've made their way out. They've put the effort into getting together. I just pray that we can be edified, that we can be encouraged by your word. And Lord, I just pray that you would guide and direct me in my thoughts and my words, that I would say exactly that which is needed, keep back anything that I shouldn't say. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just help us to draw nearer to you. I pray if there's one here who don't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in you. If there is someone here that is saved, but maybe not living where they need to be, that today would be the day that they would get that right and they would draw near to you. Help us, Lord, to be a light. Help us to be a witness in this world you've placed us in. We do love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen. And so what we find here, Jesus stands up and he gives one of his famous I am statements. 
He says, I am the light. There's other times he says, I am the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's these different statements that he is saying, and he is, uh, he is giving out his deity. He is claiming that he is God. Okay? And this is one of the reasons I say that it is provocative, that it is provoking. But as he says this statement, I am the light of the world. It is a, a tremendous statement for us. We're getting into the time of the year right now where it gets darker and darker, aren't we? Yeah. Whenever I got out of bed this morning, it was still dark. Uh, thankfully, it's sun shining today, right? Yeah. But we are headed into this time. It's dark and it's dreary. It's getting cold. And uh, we, we don't like the dark, do we? And we find that as we're getting into this season, there is depression, there is discouragement, and we're just looking forward to summertime. We want heat, we want warmth, we want daylight, and we don't like the darkness. Even Jesus, or even God's very first act of creation, whenever God stepped out of eternity past and onto the pages of Scripture, one of the first things he said is, let there be light. There was a necessity for light. It was one of the, the most key, most fundamental elements of all of creation is that he started with light. He didn't start with the sun, the moon, and the stars. He didn't start with anything else. He said, let there be light before there was any of that. And the light proceeded forth from him. He says, I am the light, right? And so light is one of the things that this world most needs to thrive. If you do too long without light, you start suffering both mentally and physically, right? We know what that's like living in the dark times within Ireland, right? And so there is a darkness that has that effect on us, and we need the light, we desire the light, we crave the light. When we spend too much time in the dark, we're looking for somewhere to get away and get some more sunshine. Kevin and Katie just came back from Portugal, right? They were getting, getting some more light, hopefully, right? <laughs> and so that's what they were doing. And we desire, we crave, we need this light. And so Jesus brings this example out. He brings this illustration to them, and he says, I am the light of the world. Spiritually speaking, Jesus' day was much like the day that we live in today. Spiritually, it was dark. Okay? Spiritually, it was dark. And during this time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, I went into this a little bit, but during this time, uh, they were all gathering into Jerusalem, and they were remembering the time that they spent in the wilderness as God led them from Egypt to the Promised Land. Okay? And one of the key parts of that celebration is there was a large golden lampstand, a huge menorah in the courts of the temple that would be lit and giving off light throughout the city. If you know the temple grounds, it was an elevated place. It was someplace that would have been higher, and that light would have shined above the temple and been able to be seen throughout all of the city. And this is the backdrop for the statement that Jesus is saying. Whenever the people are looking to him, they are looking at this light at the temple, and Jesus says, I am the light. That light that was on the temple ground symbolized God's presence with the people of Israel. If you remember the story where uh, Moses is leading the children of Israel, that God is actually the one that is leading Moses and the children of Israel. That he gave them a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day, right? And that symbolized his presence with them. What a lot of people don't realize is that uh, that continued beyond the time they entered into the promised land and that God's presence still rested on the tabernacle and later on it's going to rest on the temple. We find that the, the Spirit of God comes down whenever Solomon dedicates the temple and sets on the temple, right? 
And then we find in the times of the prophets, I can't remember if it's Ezekiel or Isaiah, that the Spirit of God leaves Israel and leaves the temple. And they have set in darkness. They have went away from God. They had left Him. They had left His plan. They didn't care about Him anymore. But since God had left them, they made an artificial light. They made this lampstand to symbolize His presence, though His presence was no longer with them. And I think that kind of is fitting for us today as much of this world has rejected God and they have made up their own false gods. They have made up their false lights to try to pretend as if they are godly or religious or holy, but yet it is a facade. And so coming back to our Feast of the Tabernacles here, as Jesus is standing before the people, as he makes a statement, he says, I am the light of the world. He is comparing himself with this uh, candle stand, this lamp, this torch that represented God's presence. He is identifying himself with that lamp in the wilderness. God's presence lit the way for the people of Israel, and Jesus says, I am lighting the way for all of the world. You see where that would provoke the religious leaders a little bit? Whenever he's pointing to that lampstand and he's saying, I am the light, it's not this thing, I am the light of the world. Okay? And so Jesus, in his message, was saying that he is the one that will light the world as God once lit the Israelites. And so we're going to go through this and we're going to look at Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world and what it means for us. The first thing I want to bring out about this is uh, the light was revealed. Jesus came out, he says, I am this light. He came and he revealed himself to mankind. He came and lived on this earth and lived a holy and a separate life. He came down on this earth. He did good works. He healed the blind. He raised the lame. He gave life to those who were dead. And he preached the good news of the gospel to those who were in bondage to sin and to religion, really. He was there giving light to them back then. He was revealing himself to them. And as I said, there is a, a connection that he is drawing here between him and that golden lampstand, between him and that light that was in the wilderness, God's presence with them. And so I want to look at this light in the wilderness and look at God's presence, this pillar of fire and what it did as it is revealing these truths about God to us. As we look at this light that was in the wilderness, it was there for four different reasons, Okay. Four different reasons, and they're fairly simple, okay? The first reason, it was there to reveal the way. It went before them to show them the way that they should travel, the way that they should go. And as Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is saying, I am here before you revealing the way. I'm showing you the way that God would have you to travel. I'm revealing the truth of God and of his word to you. I am the way that you should... Uh, be following after. As he was living his life before mankind, he had just got done with the, the whole situation between the religious leaders and the woman that was caught in adultery. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. Remember that part? And he is giving them light. He is showing them God's heart and God's desire for mankind. He's showing mercy. He's showing forgiveness. He is showing love to these people. And he is showing them, I am the light. I am leading you. I am showing you the way you ought to travel, the way you ought to go. And all the way through his life, he is giving an example to mankind. He is leading the disciples. He is showing them his way. 
in uh, Psalm 119, 105, it says that God's word is a, light, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He is showing us the way that we should go. As we look into his word, as we look into his example, all of these things, it is guiding us. It is leading us. We looked at this in Sunday school, right? Look at this in the first service. In how we ought to live, what we ought to practice, what we ought to do, he is lighting the way. He is directing our footsteps. He is directing our paths. The next thing that we find that the, the pillar of fire, that light in the wilderness did, is it revealed the dangers that was around them. Imagine a camping trip, a 40-year camping trip, with some 2 million people. They didn't have lighting systems. They didn't have uh, battery-operated torches, right? How is that camping trip supposed to work? How are they going to be able to cope at night? God provided a light for them so that they were able to see the dangers that surrounded them, that they were able to see where they should walk. If you read through the, the account of the Exodus, you find that sometimes they were moving at night. How are they supposed to do that? If we're traveling at night, we have headlamps in our car. We have to see the direction we're going because there are dangers that are in front of us. And whenever Jesus says, I am the light, whenever we are following him, whenever we are allowing him to illuminate our way, he makes the dangers visible. He shows us the things to avoid. We talked about that, like I said, a little bit in our first service. There are many dangers in this life, and I tell you, I am thankful for all of the things that his light has kept me away from. All of the dangers that he has illuminated in my life, I'm not saying I haven't made mistakes, but I'm thankful for all the ones that he has kept me from because of the light of his word, because of the dangers that he has illuminated, all the things that he said, stay away from, all the things that he has shown me, this isn't good for you, this isn't the direction you should travel, this is something that is going to harm you, this is something that's going to hurt you, and he says, stay away from that. He illuminates that through his life, through his light, through his word. Another thing that the light in the wilderness did is it also provided safety for them. Okay, It provided safety for them. Not just illuminating the dangers, but think about this. The people of Israel were not a militant people. They were not a sitting army. They were slaves that had escaped Egypt. They were brick makers. They were farmers. They were shepherds, right? They weren't there for war. And as they were going through the wilderness fairly unprotected, any kind of enemy could have come against them and taken their flocks, taken their herds, taken their riches, and raided them. They would have been an easy target. But think about it for just a minute. If you were one of those opposing enemies and you came against their camp and there was a huge fireball extending from the middle of their camp in the sky at night, would you touch that? You wouldn't go anywhere near that, would you? And God was offering up a protection for them. He was keeping the enemies away because as the enemies come, for one, the Israelites would see them, but also the enemies would stay away because of the light. And so that brings us to our application for our own lives. Jesus says, I am the light. And whenever the light is illuminating our lives, whenever we are walking according to the light, it is going to keep a lot of wickedness away from us. There's going to be a lot of people, we talked about this, uh, like I said, Sunday school kind of overlapped this quite a bit. We laid the groundwork for it. But as we are living for God, as we are walking in his light, as it is shining in our lives, there's a lot of things that are not even going to come into our lives. It's not even going to be a 
temptation not going to be a problem because of the light that exists in our lives. You know, as you're living a Christian life, people are going to be able to see by the life that you live, there's some things you're not even going to be interested in, so they're not even going to approach you with it. You realize, this is something Eliza said in the past, the first time that she was ever offered alcohol in her life was about three years ago after we came here. Why? Because we lived and walked with God. We walked in the light, and there just no one was offering it to us. Right? That's just a silly example, but here's the thing. Whenever we are walking in the light, there are some things that's not even going to come on our radar. There are some things that this world is going to deal with, some temptations and some wickedness that they're going to get into that's not even going to come to your door because of the light of God in your life. Right? The fourth thing that we find here that the light in the wilderness did for the Israelites, it revealed the way, it revealed dangers, it provided safety, but it also provided security. Think about the children of Israel as they are leaving everything that they ever knew. They're leaving Egypt. They're camping in the wilderness, and they are unsure of where they're going. They're unsure of what they're doing, how to get there. They're unsure of all these different things. But one thing they are sure of is that God is with them. They can look up. They can see the pillar of fire. They can see the pillar of cloud. They can see God's presence illuminating the way, and they can say, I don't know a lot of things, but I know that God is with me, and I can trust in his leadership, I can trust in his protection. I can entrust in what he's doing because of his light. Could you imagine how reassuring that would be for the children of Israel to see something so fantastic, so phenomenal, walking along with them, that light of God's presence with them? And the presence of God, the presence of his light in your life is going to give you reassurance. It's going to give you security as you are walking through this world, as you are separated from, oftentimes from uh, the people around us, as you are going through difficulties and trials and troubles, you can keep going back and saying, because of his light, because of his word, because of his presence, I have security in who I am and I have security in my relationship with him. So his light brings security, it brings safety, it reveals dangers, it lights the way. And so Jesus says, I am the light. There's a lot of great truth to that, a lot of great encouragement for us as he is comparing himself to that light in the wilderness that went before the Israelites. And so the light revealed the second thing in this is the light should be reflected. Okay, And this goes along with Sarah's song that she sung just a little bit ago. The light of God should be reflected. We have no light in and of ourselves. The source of light is Christ. The source of light is God. And we have no light, but we are to be a reflection of his light. If you study out the, the solar system and the way that God has created everything, the sun is the light, and the moon has no light of itself. The moon reflects the light, right? which is really neat. And so if we make a comparison here, we are to be as the moon. We are to shine the light, reflect the light into this world which we live in. And so as we are reflecting the light, there's two reasons why we should reflect the light. The first one being to reveal the Savior. As we are shining forth the light in this world, it shows the world the one that we serve. It shows Jesus. They see Jesus in us, right? To, re to reveal the Savior and the other reason for us to reflect the light is to restrain sin. Do you realize that 
the Christians walking in this world, living by godly principles, living according to God's word, has an effect in staving off the moral decline of society. And we can see that existing down throughout time. Whenever uh, Christianity takes hold, whenever the gospel is preached, whenever people are getting saved, it has a transforming power on society and it pushes back the forces of Satan and the forces of evil. There is a restraining power there. And unfortunately, the, the more the Christians retreat, the more Satan and his forces prevail. I think that's one of the reasons why there is a decline today. The Bible says that uh, in the last days, the love of many will wax cold, right? And I think that's what hap what's happening. And what is it talking about the love of many? It's talking about the love of Christians, I believe, the love they have for God. They are becoming complacent. They are becoming lukewarm. They are waxing cold. And with that, we see wickedness abounding in the world. And so we need to reflect the light of God because it reveals the Savior and it restrains sin. But the question that we have is how do we reflect it? How do we reflect it? How is it that people are going to see Jesus in us? How is it that we are going to be a light as Jesus says? Uh, if we turn over to Matthew chapter number 5, Matthew chapter number 5, Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. And in Mark, or Matthew, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 14, he says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we need the light revealed. We need to be reflecting the light. And the way that we are reflecting it, first of all, we need to be, uh, we need to be obeying Jesus in love. We show the world that we love him through our, our obedience. In John chapter number 14 and verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If we love him, it's going to have an effect on our actions. It's going to have an effect on the way that we live our lives. He doesn't say, keep my commandments to earn my love. We already have his love, right? And we love him because he first loved us. And if we love him, we keep his commandments. And so as we are living by godly principles, as we are living according to the light of God's word, as we are walking with him and fellowshipping with him and allowing that to work its way out in our lives, it shines the light of God into this dark world. People see the light of Christ as it reflects from us because we love him and we walk as he walked. We walk in ways that are pleasing to him. We walk according to his word and his principles because we love him. So his light is reflected because we love him and we obey him. His light is reflected by how we love the brethren. In John chapter 13 and verse 35, I'm going to turn over there because if I quote it, I will misquote it. John chapter 13. In verse 35, it says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. How we love the brethren is going to indicate to this world that we belong to Christ. It is going to shine forth the light of God by how we treat one another, not just within this local assembly, but as we interact with fellow believers, as we re, as we interact with other Christians, is it that we are biting and devouring and consuming one another, or is it that we have love and grace and mercy toward one another, even whenever there are times that we disagree? And I believe this is something that lacks greatly in this world today, because Christians are no more by what they're against and who they're against and who they're fighting and all of their bickering and all of these different things rather than by their love for one another. This should be a place where we are encouraging one another, we are uplifting one another, this should be where we are supporting one another and provoking one another to good works, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? And so it says, By this shall they know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. So we are shining forth the light. We are reflecting the light of the Lord by our love for him, our love for the brethren. And I believe we also reflect his light by our love that we have for the lost. By our love that we have for the lost. How did Jesus act toward those who hated him? How did he act toward those who were in sin, those who were uh, in all sorts of false religion, how did he act toward those who were not his disciples? He acted with love. He acted with mercy, right? We saw that in how he treated the woman who was caught in adultery. We saw how Jesus had a love for Israel. As he looked out over the nation, or over the city of Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have taken you as a hen doth her chicks? And he's talking about how a hen would take and cover them up, how he, uh, a hen would protect her little ones. How often would I have done that? And you would not. What he is doing, he is mourning. He is sorrowful toward their rejection of him. He is. He loves them. He wants to see them come to them to him. He wants to. Uh, he wants to work in their hearts, in their lives, and in their nation. And they would not. See, if it would have been us, most of us as Christians, even if we would have been treated as Jesus was, we would have retaliated. We would have called down fire from heaven, right? Whenever, um, excuse me, whenever Jesus was in Samaria and the Samaritans would not allow them to come and stay in the city because he looked as if he was going toward Jerusalem, what did Jesus' disciples, I believe it was specifically, it was James and John or Peter and John, what did they say? Let us call down fire from heaven and consume this whole city. And Jesus responded, he says, you know not what spirit ye are of. Jesus had a love for those that were rejecting him. He had a love for the lost. And we would like to call down fire from heaven to consume them, right? We would like to go out and confront them, and, and we would just like to see them all burn a lot of times. Isn't that how Christians act a lot of times? But that's not how Jesus acted. He says, you know not what spirit you are of. Whenever he was on the cross, he looked at the thief that had railed against him, that had mocked him, and whenever that thief said, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. He said, this day will you be with me in paradise. Jesus said, I don't care how you've sinned against me. I don't care how you mistreated me. I still love you. I'll still save you. Right? Whenever it came to the Romans that had put the stripes on his back that had nailed him on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Whenever it came to Peter who had rejected him, who had denied him, 
He came back and restored him. When Judas came uh, betraying him and brought the armies with him to crucify, to capture Jesus, Jesus greeted him and greeted him with a kiss and called him friend. He washed his feet in the upper room. This is how Jesus treated those who didn't know him, didn't love him, didn't want him. We can even go into someone a little bit more relatable than Jesus whenever you look at uh, the Apostle Paul and Paul's ministry. And every time that Paul was arrested, every time he stood before the enemies, he gave out the gospel. In love, he looked on them and said, Jesus wants to save you. He didn't lash out against them. He didn't come out in hatred. He didn't tell them how wicked and how awful they were. He came out and said, Jesus died for you to save your soul. And he extended mercy and salvation to them. And so how do we reflect the light of Christ? We love him and we obey him. We have love for our brethren and encourage and support one another. And we have love for the lost and seek their salvation. Because that's what Jesus did, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But as we're doing that, one of the reasons I think that we are hesitant to reflect the light of God, one of the reasons why we don't have patience with the lost, why we don't have this love for the lost, is because so often they reject the light. They reject the light. And so we saw the light revealed, we saw the light reflected, now the light rejected. In spite of all of the words and deeds that Jesus did, in spite of the people that he healed, in spite of the teachings that he taught, in spite of all the things that he did, and even his resurrection at the end, many people still rejected him. And as they did back then, they still do today, it doesn't matter what God has done, it doesn't matter how much evidence, it doesn't matter how much proof, and it doesn't even matter how much love the Christians shine on this world, how much we reflect God's nature and His truth into this world, there are still going to be many people who reject the light. And we've all been uh, witnesses to that, I'm sure, haven't we? There are some people who just have no desire for the truth of God, have no desire for the goodness of God, have no desire for His Word and for His salvation. I was watching a, a short clip this week uh, online, and there's all kinds of rubbish you can get into online. But anyway, I was watching a short clip, and there was a girl who uh, was confronting all of the Christians in her uh, social media. And she, what she said, and I want to try to summarize it, she said, quit trying to save us. She said, we don't want to be saved. Just let us go to hell. We want to go there. That was what she said. At least she's honest. <laughs> At least she's honest, but she says, I reject the light. I want nothing to do with it. Just quit even trying. She was expecting for us to just be able, all the people who loved her, all the people who cared for her, just to stop caring. Just to be okay with the fact that she was going to go into a godless eternity. She was asking everyone to just forget about all of those things because she was satisfied with the dark. She was rejecting the light. And I believe there's two different reasons why people reject the light. We find those in scripture. And one is blindness. There are many people who are just blind. They have never been exposed to the light. They don't know what the light is. They have no idea how to comprehend it or how to understand it. 
and I don't mean this to be unkind, but imagine a blind person who has never seen the light. They can't appreciate it. They don't understand it. They don't know what it is. You can try to describe it to them. You can try to make every effort to help them to understand. But at the end of the day, they are not going to uh, know the light. They're not going to recognize the light. They're not going to appreciate the light because they are blind. And there is a spiritual blindness that exists that people have never been exposed to the light. They've never been able to comprehend the light. They've never been able, and it could be through uh, religious indoctrination that has kept them isolated, kept them away from it. It could be because of their prejudices. It could be because of many different things, but they are blind. They don't understand. They don't know. They can't appreciate the light, and so they reject it. Now, the Lord deals with this. If we uh, skip forward into the beginning of John chapter number 9, and I'll turn over there because I've, I've turned back to Matthew already. But in John chapter number 9, the Lord actually deals with a blind man. He says again in um, verse number 4, uh, no, verse number 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he begins to heal a blind man. I'm glad that with Jesus, blindness doesn't have to be permanent. But as we are in this world, as we are being a light, as we are reflecting Jesus, trying to reveal the truth of God's word, the light of his word, as we are doing that, these blind people who are rejecting him, God can do a miracle in their life. God can do a work in their life. He can open their eyes and they can see. They can believe. And there are many people today who are believers, who are saved, who are following God that once rejected him, once were blind, and God miraculously opened their eyes spiritually so they could see, so they could appreciate, so they could accept him and his offer of salvation. We get frustrated when we're dealing with people who are rejecting God, who are blind to the things of God, who just can't see, and we, we feel as if we're beating our heads against the wall, right? But unless God opens their eyes, unless God does a work in their heart, unless the Holy Spirit draws them, they are not going to be able to see. But that doesn't mean that we give up. That doesn't mean that we are silent. That means that we pray, that we trust God, and God can open their eyes. Okay? But the other type of people who reject the light are those who just simply like the dark. There are some that just like the dark. In John chapter number 3, and I believe he was uh, referring to it there in Sunday school, John chapter number 3, in verse number 19, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So in this passage, there are those who simply like the dark because their lives are characterized by the dark. They are walking in sin. They are blinded by the devil. They are content to continue in their wickedness. The world today has made efforts to try to uh, try to reject, to try to disprove, to try to completely separate themselves from God, His Word, and all the truth that's revealed therein. 
because if God is real, if he exists, if his word is true, then they are guilty before him. Then they are, there is someone who can call them into account. And because their deeds are evil, they reject him because they don't want to give account to God. They want to continue in their sins. They want to continue in their wickedness. They want to continue in the way that they're going. Like the lady that I was telling you about, she's saying, just let us go to hell. But love will not allow us to do that, right? And so many people just like the dark. And so the light was revealed. The light should be reflected. The light will be rejected by many. But our final thing that I want to look at today, my last point, if you turn over to Revelation chapter number 22, a good place for us to end is at the end, right? We've talked a little bit about uh, end times and things that are going on in the world just through conversations we've had today. But in the very end, what we see is the light is reigning. In uh, Revelation 22 and verse number 5, it's talking about uh, the new creation. It's talking about what God has in store for the future. And it says, There shall be no night there, and they shall need no candle, neither a light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Whenever we get to glory, there is going to be no sin. There's going to be no darkness. There's going to be no suffering. There's going to be no death. There's going to be none of these things that grieve us and corrupt us. There's going to be none of these things that bring about the coldness and the darkness. As I was talking about in our introduction today, as we go into this season of darkness, whenever things are dark and depressing and cold, Physically speaking in this world, we look forward to the day that it is light. We look forward to the sunshine. We look forward to the summer, right? And as we are walking in this sinful world, as we are walking with the darkness and the wickedness and those who reject God and re like not to retain the knowledge of him, we can look forward to that day that we will walk with him where we will be in the sun, S-O-N sun, where we will be in his presence and there will be no more wickedness, no more night, no more darkness, because the light will be reigning. I look forward to that day. And so just looking through this passage, as Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We need his light. We need him to be working in our lives, guiding our steps, leading us around the difficulties, keeping away the things that would destroy us, and keeping us secure and safe with him. We need to be reflecting his light because uh, that light restrains the wickedness and it reveals the Savior. We do it by walking in his love, walking in his commands and his precepts. We do it by loving one another. We do it by loving the lost and seeking to see them saved. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. We reflect his love. Many people are going to reject his light but we continue to live for him. We continue to proclaim his word because God can work in their hearts. God can reveal himself to them. God can change them. And we walk victoriously through this Christian life knowing the darkness is temporary. One day the light will reign and we will get to, uh, we will get to abide in his glory forever. And that is a wonderful day in the future. I look forward to it. But for right now, I want to be reflecting. I want to be reflecting his light. 
So in closing today, if you are saved, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have accepted his offer of pardon and forgiveness for your sin, walk in this world as a reflection of his light. If you're in here today and you have not accepted him as your Savior, if you have been rejecting, if you have been resisting him, it would be a good day for you to give up, for you to throw in the white flag of surrender and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to save your soul. He is offered whosoever will may come. He is offered for us, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we realize we are a sinner and we can't pay our debt and that he paid it for us, if you will call unto him and ask him to save you, he will do it. And as we go throughout this life, we realize these things will be present, but we look forward to that day that we will be walking in the light with him. Never give up hope. Never feel defeated. Don't let the darkness get to you and don't get used to the dark because we are headed for the light. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings, Lord. We do thank you so much, Lord, that you are the light of the world. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just take my feeble attempts at preaching your word and encouraging your people. And I pray, Lord, that you would just lighten the minds and the hearts of the people here. I just pray that you would do the needed work in the hearts and lives of each person. And Lord, if there's one here that don't know you as their Savior, that they've been resisting your light, I pray that today would be the day that they would give in and trust you. Lord, I pray if there's uh, those in here today that have been uh, uh, a little bit dim in their reflection, Lord, that they would draw nigh to you, that they would allow you to do the work in their lives, Lord, that they may shine brightly for you. And Lord, I just pray, I ask you, Lord, just encourage each of us as the days grow darker, that we would just shine brighter and that we would look forward to glory and look forward to the promises that you have for us. We thank you so much for all that you do and all you're going to do. Ask your blessings on our time, our fellowship together. And Lord, I ask you to watch over us throughout this week until we meet back here again. All these things we pray in Jesus' name and amen. amen.